Are you wondering about the personal and professional impact the coronavirus pandemic has had on HR practitioners? Or maybe you're wondering how to deliver a training experience that engages, upskills, and immerses modern learners in company culture. Our Paychecks HR Leadership Series podcast is bringing you engaging conversations and insights around the most pressing issues of the day. Brought to you by the most progressive thinkers in the industry. Listen in as we talk with experts and influencers on the top human resource issues today. Listen and subscribe to our Paychecks HR Leadership Series podcast today at paychecks.com slash HR Leadership. It's Market Monday on Gary and Shannon. Because everyone loves money. And alliteration sounds great on the radio. Everybody. Cash, cash. Gary and Shannon, it's Monday, it's February 12th. We get to welcome in our friend, Rebecca Jarvis. Rebecca. Gary. What in the world? Now, last week we were going to talk to you. We had to pull the plug on this because you uh, were uh, brilliantly analyzing what in the world happened in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It was down 1,100 points on Monday and then up 600 and then down like 19 and then up 400 and then down 700. And now it's up 400. Yeah, best two days since I think 2015 right now, um, if, if my records are correct at this point. So, yeah, what's going on, Gary? How have you been explaining this, Gary? I go like this. Ah! <laughs> you know, that's the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Well, I'm I'm doing that with my voice. I'm not actually changing any investments that I have. How's that? Okay, okay good, good. Um, look, there are a couple of things that have been going on. First of all, the underlying economy, what really, really set this off initially is that uh, not this past Friday, but the Friday before, we got a jobs report that showed wages rising at their fastest pace in eight years. Now we've seen 88 straight months of job gains in the U.S. economy, and that made a handful of people worried about what the Fed's next move is going to be. We already know that the Federal Reserve is going to hike interest rates. Um, Fed chair, outgoing Fed chair Janet Yellen was on the page of slow and steady interest rate hikes. The new Fed chair, Jay Powell, coming in appeared to be on the same page as Janet Yellen. But there's some question about whether or not is that going to be true? Is that not going to be true? No one knows. No one is speculating just yet. But with the market, the, the overall jobs market improving, with the overall economy improving, there's a feeling that maybe interest rates are going to start to climb a little bit faster than we expected. And that is the, the biggest thing that set off the, the selling. At the same time, we have also been in this period, and Gary, we talk about this pretty much every week because there are new records being set, or there had been new records in the market being set almost every week when we were speaking. There's also been this feeling, and we've talked about this, is it too far too fast? Does the underlying uh, corporate picture, does the underlying economy really justify how quickly the market has climbed? And even in the midst of all of the, the most recent days of chaos and volatility, you still look back on some of the worst days in the market over the last year would still be up 12%, 20% over the last year. The bottom line here is that initial concern about interest rates 
set off some selling. It's now now you have a number of of different people looking at the market coming to potentially different conclusions about whether or not where where the market is is truly justified. And frankly, that means that there probably will be some volatility in the coming days. The the longer term question is how how do we answer this this overall question of where would be the appropriate level for the stock market to truly reflect the real underlying economy right now. And as of now, we're not hearing the R word. We're not hearing recession. As of now, the jobs market looks strong. Manufacturing has been growing. The housing market has been relatively strong. So no one is looking at this. I know when people see these kinds of these wild swings, they think back to the Great Recession and the financial crisis. No one is looking at this at this moment in time as that because those underlying fundamentals still appear to be on solid footing. Um, when when this happened in 2008, when we saw the markets crash, a lot yeah. of blame was laid at the feet, I don't know if that's the right word, of the rubber pads of the computers that do a lot of our trading. Yes, have they, I'm glad you brought that up. Have they played into this at all, this volatility? So there's there's no definitive number on what percent of trading volume comes from those algorithms and those computerized trading systems, but it's a very large percentage. And the way I would describe it is tripwires. And what happens on these most volatile days is that you have literally billions of dollars in in wealth programmed into these trading programs. And every time one of those tripwires gets hit, it's like all across Wall Street, those tripwires are very similar. So as soon as that momentum begins to the downside or to the upside, those tripwires start, they, they start happening across uh, across the board, and that triggers what becomes a much bigger sell-off than if, if there were not, if there were people uh, doing the majority of trades, looking at it, saying, you know what, fundamentally, nothing has changed here. Fundamentally, we're in a very similar spot to where we were one week ago. Is it weird that the markets might look forward to a holiday? They're not open on Monday, are they? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know about <laughs> you, but I'm looking forward to a day where I don't have to hold my breath all day long. Yeah. Uh, right now, it looks like, I think we've, we said the Dow looks like it closed up 410 points. So that's 1.7% yep. for the day. So. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's one other thing, just a small point. These these big, big points, either climbs or declines, mean less today than they meant during the financial crisis because the, we've come as far as we've come. So 400 points is 1.7% today, up 1.7%. 400 points back then would have been, you know, 3 5% in a given day. Yeah. I shouldn't say 5. I should say 3. 3 would be accurate. <laughs> You don't want to scare people anymore, even though it yeah. was in the past. Uh, one more quick business stuff, and then we'll get into some lighthearted things on the other side of the break. I wanted to ask you about Amazon becoming the next huge delivery service. Um, yes. I know that they've used UPS, FedEx. They even use the post office, uh, the U.S. Postal Service at yeah. points. But anytime Amazon touches something, it gets better or it, it has the opportunity to get better. Can they come up with their own delivery system? I think the short answer is yes. The longer answer is it will take 
billions of dollars and massive amounts of organization. And while I think it's very possible that they are moving in that direction, the time that it would take to truly be on the same footing as a FedEx or a UPS or the U.S. Postal Service, it's going to take a much longer span of time than sort of like what the initial reaction is. But given everybody thinks when they hear Amazon is getting into a new field, everyone can't help but think about Amazon initially getting into books. And because of that, because of what happened when Amazon got into books, people get very nervous. The competitors get nervous. I would say for consumers, at least at this moment, the good news is that now, because we have that history, because we know what happens when Amazon gets into a new industry, things generally, at least in the near term, get better for customers because everybody tries to compete and they try to, to, to rival what Amazon is doing. And that usually, at least in the near term, again, means better pricing for customers, uh, more, uh, more opportunity for customers. But certainly this is a space that you can see why they would like to get into it. It gives them more control. Ultimately, it will cost them a lot of money up front, but in the long run, it could mean serious savings for them. The, the amount of stuff that they have to have, I saw that Amazon already, Amazon, not in the delivery business, has leased up to 40 planes and has about 300 warehouses in the United States. Yeah. Compare that to FedEx, which has 650 airplanes and 4,800 operating facilities around the globe. That's, I mean, just the, the size and scope of it, I think, is is even lost. We say billions, but it would be hundreds of billions, it seems like. Exactly. I'm glad you said that. Hundreds of billions of dollars. And to that point, Amazon does deal with UPS and FedEx. It's about a 3 to 6% portion of their business. So not insignificant, but not the entire business either. All right. We'll talk Olympics. We'll talk Valentine's Day. And of course, your podcast coming back. Okay. Awesome. In the break, go check out our tw- uh, Twitter feed at Gary and Shannon. You'll find the link to the latest uh, baby eagle cam up in Big I Bear. Can't wait. Okay. We're talking to Rebecca Jarvis, uh, the ABC News Chief for Business, Technology, and the Economy. We'll come back with Rebecca in just a second. Gary and Shannon. Talking to Rebecca Jarvis. Uh, Rebecca, I failed to give you a graphic nature warning when I told you to go check out that Big Bear Bald Eagle camp. There's looks like chunks of um, of other birds uh, laying about the nest. Oh my god. Yeah, it's pretty gruesome when you look at it, but um, <clears throat> but there are two baby eagles under baby eaglets, I guess, underneath the big eagle that's uh, sitting on top of them. So. Well, I've already tweeted it without even looking at it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just be forewarned. Do not eat. Well, I guess it's past lunch in, in New York, so you're probably fine. Um, let's talk about the Olympics. You a big fan? You know, I enjoy the Olympics, but I, to be entirely honest, I have not watched a single Olympic sport at this point. I know it's terrible. Um, I've just been, I've been busy with a handful of other things. Are you a big fan, Gary? I do. I love it. I love either the uh, summer, uh, the summer Olympics. I want to watch the least, um, televised sport. So sometimes that's like canyoning or something like that. And I obviously love curling and skeleton and curling, luge. I love that. Have you actually done curling in real life before? No, but you know what's weird? So we're in Southern California. Every time I mention curling, we get emails from, from curling groups and clubs who say that they are more than willing to host us for a day to curl. <laughs> That's, you should take them up on that. I did curling. I would say I was in third grade. One of my friends for her birthday party had a curling birthday party, and uh, it was pretty fun. That's what you do in Minnesota for your third birthday. Third graders. 
All right. And to me, it seems like bowling. Like, if they're going to serve beer, then yes, I'll go curling. But <laughs> we I mean, didn't have that when I was in uh, third grade. Well, so you got to go to the different schools. Um, but do they, <laughs> they don't get paid, do they, Olympians? Well, so this is the thing. And I've actually, one thing I have done is talk to a number of former Olympians about the process because no, they don't get paid. And in fact, a number of them actually go broke on the way to the Olympics. I've talked to Olympians who barely had a penny in their pocket on the day that they got to the Olympics. Some of them are even, you know, medalists who basically won the bronze or the silver or even the gold medal and had nothing left to spare because it's so expensive just to get there. The amount of training that it takes costs hundreds of thousands of dollars and there's a very limited amount of money that you get paid if you win for for gold silver and bronze you earn thirty seven thousand dollars twenty two thousand five hundred and fifteen thousand dollars respectively and the actual medals themselves aren't really even worth that much unless you want to sell them online. Obviously, some people are going to be interested in buying them for what they mean. But the actual physical value, if you were to melt it down, um, it says that the gold is worth $577. That's because it's gold gold on the outside. It's not fully um, gold all the way through. The, the solid, or rather the silver medals, would be worth about $320. That bronze medal, worth $3.50. <laughs> That's just great. So they should, just, they, great. they should sell those as souvenirs rather than hand them out. Exactly. Definitely. Then they could make some money. Um, well, but ultimately where people do make the money is on endorsements. And that's you get the endorsements if you are like the top rated star and you have a bunch of like celebrity appeal. It is not uh, – it's not something people should be doing if they're trying to get rich. No, but people like Chloe Kim, I think, is probably the standout right now. She's yes. young. She's pretty. She seems like she's having a blast out there. Yes. She, uh, Sean White, obviously, has been around for a long time. And also right. Lindsey Vaughn. They're making millions. Of course. on the And it's all on the endorsements and it's all on the businesses that want to pay to be in their zone and, and be, uh, you know, represented by the Olympians. But yes, I one thing I will say is what I really, really respect about Olympians is the amount of work and time and energy and the amount that you have to just go on faith and start so young. Like Allie Raisman, who was on the podcast, we talked about how, you know, she as an eight-year-old wasn't going on family vacations. And she had to, as an eight-year-old, basically be cool with that. Mm. Knowing that, if well, and I guess not even knowing, but hoping that someday she'd get a gold medal. There's absolutely no guarantee yeah. uh, that you're going to get that gold medal or even be able to compete in the Olympics. And you really do, for most of these Olympians, you really do have to start your sport when you're a kid before you know if you're even going to, like, have the propensity to be really good at what you do. Uh, I need an honest answer from you here. Uh-oh. The average that people spend on Valentine's Day. Yes. Average. Is yes. $143.56. Are you yes. over or under that? Um, I love my husband. I have not spent a penny at this point this year. Wow. Perhaps. I think you what? just said two very different things. No, no. It's not about the money, folks. It's not about the money. What I will say is there's this whole article about how much money you should spend on your Valentine. And I, I respect 
and I would appreciate this, and I also think that my husband appreciates it. It's all about the experiences. So even, first of all, and, and what's important there is if you don't have $143, um, you can create experiences that do not cost that much money. Um, also, remember that experiencing something together, what is the holiday about in the first place? It's about love, not about having a, you know, diamond or piece of jewelry sitting somewhere or even eating chocolate, although I'm cool with eating chocolate. I hope my wife, my wife is listening. I, I will probably spend under that only because I know the specific plans that we have are not that expensive, but it's an experience type thing. It, I am all about the experience. I genuinely believe very, very strongly in the experience. And I think if you enjoy the experience together, that's a sign that you're in the right partnership. I agree. Look at that. Making love connections. Uh, the No Limits podcast. I love Hannah Storm, and I cannot wait to hear this one. I'm so excited. And and you understand the root of her name, which, by the way, relates to your job, Gary. Uh-oh. That's that's a hint for, for how she got named Hannah Storm. Because she's uh, strapping handsome? <laughs> Her name was originally not Gary. Let's just no. Uh, it, 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 the, the hint relates to her first job and how she changed her name because of that first job. She was a weather person. She worked on the radio. Ding ding Talk. ding! Oh, okay, I knew it. So it's so basically, it the whole thing relates to the the type of radio station that she started her career at, and she decided that her name wasn't particularly right for the style of radio station that she started at. So she changed her name. And by the way, it's not because it was a weather station. So that would be, that would be too easy. Too easy. Uh, Have a great Valentine's day. We'll talk to you next week or maybe the week after since you have the day off. Oh yeah. There's that. Uh, All right. Thank you. Rebecca Jarvis there. And again, you can follow Rebecca at Rebecca Jarvis on Twitter. You can find her on Facebook and uh, watch the video that she does while she's with us all the time. And, of course, the No Limits podcast. We'll throw up a link so that you can check out her conversation with Hannah Storm from ESPN. All right, coming back. It looks like the New York Attorney General has new information about Harvey Weinstein, and some of it is just as disgusting, if not more disgusting, than the other stuff we've already known about him. So we'll talk about that with Jason Nathanson when we come back. Gary and Shannon, Monday, it's February 12th. Some of the uh, things that we've talked about today and that you'll continue to hear right here on KFI. The White House has released the infrastructure plan. It's about a trillion and a half dollar plan, but it looks like only about 200 billion of it, pocket change, comes from the federal government. The plan is to sort of use that as seed money for a lot of other projects for states and uh, city and county governments to come forward with some of the other money, put it all together. We talked also about the Winter Olympics being too wintry. Several of the events actually had to be uh, either postponed or canceled, specifically the skiing events. The uh, Alpine skiing uh, hill, I guess, was uh, subjected to severe winds, 50, 60, 70 mile an hour winds. And there was also a weird scare where the the president's daughter-in-law, Donald Trump Jr.'s wife, Vanessa, had to be taken to the hospital. She opened an envelope. Addressed to Donald Trump Jr. at their apartment in Manhattan and a bunch of white powder came out. And she and a couple other people were taken to the hospital to be treated. But the NYPD says there was nothing to worry about. Whatever the powder was that was in it 
was not hazardous, but they have not yet said exactly what it was. Well, one other story that we talked about was this lawsuit that was filed last night by New York's Attorney General Eric Schneiderman. Complaint filed in New York County Supreme Court. It uh, has some new stunning violations of the Weinstein Company against the New York human rights, civil rights, and business laws. Uh, Jason Nathanson has joined us to uh, help slog through some of this nastiness. What's going on, Jayna? Yeah, well, just when you thought the Weinstein stuff couldn't get creepier yeah. and dirtier comes all these allegations now in this uh, lawsuit. That seems the the point of the lawsuit was to stop the sale of the Weinstein Company, which seems it did today. Uh, the group that was looking at buying it that were in talks for, uh, those talks have broken down. So uh, the company won't be sold anymore. And we've learned, that, I mean, we knew that Weinstein was using his people to get him women, um, but this basically says that he had executive assistants who were physically arranging his sexual encounters and directing them um, that he, to go after women. And if those women that he was going after didn't want to sleep with him, that these employees had to essentially badger women who refused or expressed reluctance. Yeah. One of the things about that, these teams that were set up to help him uh, with these sexual conquests, was a group of, I don't know if what the term would be, fixers, where they would come along and after he would promise them jobs of some kind, the, this team of people had to come forward and figure out where that job was going to come from, whether they were going to be cast in a movie, they were going to get some sort of production uh, job somewhere. They were the ones who had to come up and, and basically fulfill the promises that he made. And one of the craziest things about this, it seems there were so many people involved. So you would wonder how this was kept quiet for years or how it was kept secret or, or why nobody did anything. Um, and we get they get into that a little more when it comes to the HR complaints, because apparently there were volumes of HR complaints. People went and, and said, hey, this is wrong. I feel uncomfortable. What he's making me do, blah, blah, blah. And in most cases, well, in all cases, first of all, there were no investigations. Nobody did anything about it. And in most of the cases, those complaints would be then sent directly to Harvey Weinstein, who would then fire those people or punish them in some way. So it was this weird loop of things, you know, and so many people were involved. And that's one of the things that why the New York, uh, the, the attorney general wanted to stop the sale, because Eric Schneiderman said that you're basically, this, this uh, bid was going to basically take the company whole and make a new company with it, uh, the 150 employees, and most of them would transfer over. He said that that group is so toxic, and you have some of the executives who are just in place who were doing the same thing then. He didn't want that. He basically wanted to blow up the company so it wouldn't exist anymore. Which is weird because a part of the deal I know that they were working on would include a $50 million bank account, basically, a fund to help pay out all of the pending cases against uh, and allegations against Weinstein. That's what the group who was going to be doing the purchasing said, but Schneiderman said in his report that he found no evidence of that. Oh. Maybe it was going to happen. Maybe it was included. It was going to be, I think, something like $250 million for the sale of the company and then another $225 million in existing debt. And maybe somewhere in there, there would have been $50 million, or maybe Schneiderman just never saw because a lot of the terms were supposed to be confidential. But Schneiderman said, I, I didn't see it. There, there was no evidence that there would have been this $50 million fund for the victims. Uh, so that's another red flag. Just I'm amazed that, you know, this all broke back in October, the Harvey Weinstein portion of this. I mean, this is obviously not the, the Bill O'Reilly or Bill Cosby or any of those guys before this. But when Harvey Weinstein's story came out, 
The stories about him continued to pile on. And it seemed like we were getting three, four, five accusers a week against this guy. And I, I felt like, okay, we've run the gamut of the uh, uh, atrocious things this guy was accused of. And then we get even more of them in this filing from late last night. Yeah, and, and just more of the people who who helped them or were forced to help them. Like I, you know, I don't know at, at this point if these people are are victims or they're enablers or what. But you know, we hear about the drivers who had to have not only condoms on hand at all times, but injectable erectile dysfunction medication for Weinstein. And at one point, apparently, one of them got a bonus for getting the medication, and this guy was also directed to inject Weinstein. I don't know where. I don't. Uh, I don't know what where that injectable goes. But uh, uh, th- that's something that this this person had to do as part of their job. Wouldn't you at some point begin to question whether that was the right job for you? Well, sure. So so then, what do you do? Do you you know you go home and you complain to your wife or your husband or significant other or whatever, uh, as a lot of people do about their jobs? Do you go to HR, as many people apparently did, and there was no help for them there? They thought they were doing the right thing, uh, or do you just leave the, the company? Now, at some point, also, uh, we're told in this new lawsuit that Weinstein is accused of telling several employees, "I will kill you. I will kill your family. You don't know what I can do." So when you're faced with that, and the guy's saying that he's bragging about secret service, secret service contacts that can take care of problems, you go, okay, well, maybe I just stay here and, and take it? Like, I don't know what to do. Man. Uh, what, does, uh, what does Weinstein's lawyer say about this? Weinstein's lawyer says, of course, uh, that uh, though Weinstein's behavior is not without fault, there was certainly no criminality, which is something that they've held to for a while now. Um, and they're also quick to point out in this response, Harvey Weinstein promoted more women to key executive positions than any other industry leader. Wow. So well, he may be a scumbag on one hand, uh, he was good for the women on, the, on another hand. He's conducted more interviews with young female actresses than any other movie producer in history. That is true. Okay, great. That is true. In uh, hotel rooms. <laughs> Jason, thank you. Take care. Jason Nathanson there with the latest on this uh, this lawsuit. Again, it was filed by New York's attorney general late last night. Uh, and Ben Braffman, Weinstein's attorney, was the one who said that many of the allegations against his client are without merit. Not all of them, but many of them. When we come back, uh, O.J. and Johnny Manziel on the road to comeback. What? Gary and Shannon will continue. This Monday, Shannon's out today. She'll be back later this week. She's taking a quick vacation. That's all. She doesn't have the flu or anything. Uh, I don't think. On Friday, she didn't have the flu. Uh, so it turns out that a couple of life's losers are back in the news. Unfortunately, O.J. Simpson has uh, apparently been paid to appear in Sasha Baron Cohen's next movie. There are sources that have been working in Vegas who say that Sasha Baron Cohen was wearing a curly dark wig and black thick-rimmed glasses when he met O.J. Simpson in a Las Vegas hotel room. But a source told uh, the Daily Mail 
that O.J. wouldn't even get into the hotel room until he was paid a sack load of cash. There's no way that Sasha would have gotten O.J. into that room without paying money. When somebody caught up to O.J. while he's sitting around on his fat butt doing nothing, eating lunch with a bunch of losers, he admitted that he knows Sasha Baron Cohen. He says, I know him well. I met him. Nice guy. And when the reporter asked him, so is it true that you were paid 20 grand to go into this hotel room with him? He didn't say. And Sasha Baron Cohen hasn't commented on all of this. He is notoriously secret when it comes to uh, the projects that he's working on. You can imagine that the Goldman family is pretty pissed off, as is the Brown family. And I don't know why Sasha Baron Cohen would have included this guy except to make fun of him. But I don't I I don't know why OJ would then allow that if he's getting paid, even if he's getting paid, why that would be a thing. Uh Johnny Manziel is also back in the news. Johnny Manziel, the one time possible NFL quarterback, says that he hopes to go back. He hopes to return following what he called a huge downfall. And it was an interesting interview he gave to ABC News about what sort of demons he has been handling over the last several years. Going back throughout the last couple years of my life, I was self-medicating with alcohol. Like, that's what I thought was making me happy and helped me get out of that depression to a point of where I felt like I had some sense of happiness. But at the end of the day, you're left staring at the ceiling by yourself and you're back in that, that depression and back in that hole, that dark hole of sitting in a room by yourself, being super depressed, thinking about all the mistakes you've made in your life. What did that get me? Where did that get me except out of the NFL? Uh, He has said that he was uh, diagnosed with bipolar disorder about a year ago, which is amazing that they waited that long to give him this diagnosis. I mean, it seemed like there was evidence of some mental health issues long ago. I mean, back when he was playing football in college, there were issues of this. He uh, played with the uh, Cleveland Browns for a while and then was cut. But he says now his... Mental health is a priority in his life, should be the priority in his life. Says, I'm taking medication for bipolar. I'm working to make sure that I don't fall back into any type of depression because I know there, where that leads me. And I know how slippery a slope that is for me. At the end of the day, I can't help that my wires are a little bit differently crossed than yours. He said, I cannot help my mental makeup or the way I was created. I don't know if this guy gets the uh, gets the reception uh, that that he... Well, I don't know if he deserves a reception, a positive reception. He's got to kind of earn his way back because of everything that he threw away. Yes, yes, he was diagnosed bipolar. Yes, he suffered from depression. But those two things don't necessarily take away the ability to make the correct decisions in certain situations. Make it harder, probably, to make those decisions. He said that those that are closest to him, including his parents and his fiancée, would all agree that they would see a drastic change in his behavior. And he said, and this is a question I think everyone has to answer, including any prospective NFL team that wants to give him a job, is, is that sustainable? Would that be the case moving forward? And Johnny Manziel admits, he says, I would like to sit here and say yes. And I have a lot of confidence that that would be the case. But at the end of the day, it's to be seen. I'm still moving forward. So, I don't know. I kind of hope that guy does well. I I just don't know if he's going to get a positive reception from from people in the NFL who do not want to get involved in politics. They do not want controversy. All right, John and Ken, up next. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Oh. Oh.
Gary and Shannon. He's giving it the big build up there and he did not deliver at all. What a shame. Nobody wants to see that. Now is the time and wherever you are is the place. The Citadel makes it easier to earn your degree by offering master's degrees, graduate certificates and undergraduate degree completion programs that are entirely online. Flexible scheduling makes these programs convenient for working professionals. Online classes are held to the same high standards that consistently name the Citadel the number one master's granting public college in the South. The Citadel. Online. On your time. Visit citadel.edu slash online.